0: what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 247 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Cheryl Kagan, state senator in District 17 as a Democrat, representing Rockville and Gaithersburg since 2015, a former delegate from 1995 to 2003 in the Maryland House of Delegates. Cheryl is also a former, former Hill staffer and lobbyist for National Gun Control. Cheryl is a former executive director of the Carl M. Freeman Foundation and is the former executive director of Americans for Democratic Action Education Fund and is currently an outreach and development coordinator for Community Ministries of Rockville. We are also joined today with Agnes Science, the Executive Director of Community Ministries of Rockville and the Executive Director of the Mansfield Casement Health Clinic. She has been with this uh, Community Ministries of Rockville for 25 years and they are currently celebrating their 50 year anniversary. Cheryl, Agnes, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you both doing?
1: Great to be here. Good. Thanks thank a lot, you.
0: Jordan. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, Cheryl, is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why?
1: Oh my golly. Um, this is not a podcast that is long enough for uh, the <laughs> agendas that I've undertaken. Uh, I have been called the Senator for the Nonprofit Sector, I'm glad to be on Agnes's staff, uh, working with Community Ministries of Rockville. Mm-hmm. I have also worked on consumer privacy, consumer protection, public safety issues, including advancing our 911 emergency systems and bringing it into the 21st century, uh, and am the most municipal senator in the state, and have worked for our 157 cities and towns in Maryland.
0: Interesting. Elaborate a little bit more for me on the most municipal senator, because obviously there are individuals representing Baltimore City, which has a population of close to 650,000, which exceeds the population of Rockville or Gaithersburg. So obviously there are many senators representing Baltimore City and other areas of Maryland. Why are you associated as the most municipal senator in Maryland?
1: Because I have the uh, two of the four largest municipalities in the state that comprise my district, and rather than representing only one part of the largest jurisdiction, Baltimore City, mm-hmm. uh, I represent all of the interests of two of the largest. And there's really a contrast in the in the issues. We have planning and zoning capacity. We have police powers, uh-huh. uh, as well as rec and park, social services, grant making, and many others, and they need an advocate in the state legislature, and I work very hard to do that for them.
0: Yeah, and Agnes, I'd like to transition to you for a moment. So you are the Executive Director of Community Ministries of Rockville, which provides basic health services and advocacy uh, for uh, for the community in Rockville. Uh, I'd like to ask you what is it that's motivating you you've been here for two and a half decades what is it why are, what are you doing here to advance the public interest what's the nature of the work that you're doing
2: helping the most vulnerable in our community um, I believe um, there are many needs in our community and people need second chances second opportunities there is lack of affordable housing uh, a lack of access to health care. Mm-hmm lack of the possibility to learn the English language as a second language there aren't enough senior services including housing for seniors mm-hmm. and uh, and we are here to provide all these services so i uh, I wouldn't be here if I wouldn't love what I do because, uh, as you said, 25 years is a long time.
1: Yes. So can I just say also, so Agnes is amazing, and I'm so honored for the opportunity to learn from her and work with her. So although the name is Community Ministries of Rockville, Mm -hmm. I just want to state clearly that we have some of our programs, several of our programs, that serve residents of the entire county, mm-hmm. uh, some that are just for Rockville residents, but some that are countywide. And while we have faith advisory groups, we are not affiliated with any particular faith institution. So I just thought I'd put that out there.
0: And we can work backwards. Um, since both of you are currently affiliated with Community Ministries of Rockville, and that's one of the more recent manners in which you've advanced the public interest, Cheryl, uh, perhaps you can speak about how you got involved with CMR and, w- and and of course and, and and Agnes you have a wonderful story about how you first began and became mm-hmm. involved here as a volunteer mm-hmm. uh, perhaps we can speak about how you became involved with CMR mm-hmm. and how that evolved to your current coordination and partnership
2: I'm originally from Costa Rica and came here 28 years ago mm-hmm. and when I came here I was looking for a job
0: mm-hmm.
2: and in um, in the bulletin of my church Saint Elizabeth's Catholic Church Um, uh, there was an ad from CMR Mm -hmm. that was looking for a retired volunteer accountant. My background is in finance and management. And I said, well, let me go and find out. I was applying to many different jobs and often asked, what is your experience in the United States? And I had just arrived to the country. And I said, let me go to see what this volunteer opportunity is all about. And I went and uh, was interviewed by uh, my predecessor, Reverend Mansfield Casema, who Mm -hmm. was executive director for community ministries for 26 years. And in his honor and legacy, we named the clinic, Mansfield Caseman Health Clinic. Great guy. And still works with the county. <laughs> yes, very very mm-hmm. much so. And the organization uh, was doing wonderful things at that time. I think they just needed a bit help in computerizing things, accounting systems, accounting records. And that's how I can be uh, involved with the organization. I updated what I would consider was paper chart accounting, paper record mm-hmm. accounting, Put things into computer systems, and and and, and from there, with my uh, Hispanic background, the needs for the Latino community were significantly great at that time. No different from what I mentioned before: education, healthcare, housing, etc. And the organization wanted to do something for the Latino community. Being a Latina myself. It was easier to uh, do the outreach with the Latino community. And at that time, we opened what it was called the Latino Outreach Program. Today is the Language Outreach Program. We changed the name because now we welcome people from all
1: different nationalities. And those are language programs that also help people become citizens. And the staff and volunteers are so devoted, and they help coach people into taking the citizenship exam and even sometimes drive them to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an amazing organization. Uh, When I was looking for a part-time opportunity, Mm -hmm. uh, the Senate does not pay very well, Mm -hmm. especially to live in Rockville. Uh, I contacted five nonprofit organizations that I find most impressive that serve residents of my Mm -hmm. district and had Conversations with five CEOs, and I was thrilled when Agnes offered me the opportunity. Time to help increase their visibility, to help raise money, increase the number of partnerships. And one of the things that I've been able to do are opening, you know, open some doors through some of the relationships that I have. Uh, for instance, to the tech community, mm-hmm. to bio-health companies, um, to the press, to people who I just want to, uh, to elected officials, and make sure that they know about the truly extraordinary work that CMR does. It is, uh, again, since it's been around 50 years, you would think people know it, mm-hmm. but it's a very modest, uh, low-key organization in many ways, and yet the work they do affects thousands of residents of our of our county and makes a great difference.
0: Now, Cheryl, uh, just a moment ago, Agnes spoke about trying to update the technology of the electronic health records and the computer accounting systems here at CMR. Um, you also were involved in updating the electronic uh, technology responsible for 911. In fact, you passed a bill, the 911 the bill. Can you speak about your role? In, in, in and it's very analogous and appropriate to, to what Agnes was able to do.
1: Sure. So I'm very proud to represent the high tech quarter, mm-hmm. the I-270 quarter. Rockville and Gaithersburg is the home of many high tech businesses. That are helping at the cutting edge in health and technology. Uh, so, unfortunately, 22 states are ahead of where Maryland is in terms of moving into what's called next generation 911. And I have had two constituents die when 911 failed. And what I say, I mean, when 911 fails, people die. We've had three county residents, and as I said, two have lived in my district. So we need to move forward with hardware, software, training. Um, There are about 20 to 25 percent of our country, people can text to 911. If you're hiding in your closet, you don't want to have to call 911 and say, hey, there's a bad guy in my house. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to text. Mm -hmm. Um, There is one county out of Maryland's 24 that currently offers text to 911 and that's Frederick County and it's a pilot program because the Maryland College for the Deaf is is in Frederick County the rest of us Let's just hope there's not a bad guy in the house and we're hiding in our closets. Mm -hmm. So we're continuing to work with that, uh, with 24 911 center directors, with the state, with the governor, and trying to move
0: 911 forward. Now, clearly, you're very passionate about these issues, about serving vulnerable communities, providing health care, housing, and advocacy. Uh, Let's talk about a little bit earlier in your career. You've been involved... Uh, you're first elected at the age of 33, I believe, to the Maryland House of Delegates, uh, and simul- And you have experience before that having been a, a Hill staffer for a congressman on, in, in, on Capitol Hill, and, and you were a lobbyist for national gun control. So can you walk us through some of your political and advocacy career?
1: Sure. Um, I always thought that I was a moderate because I was for peace and freedom and clean environment and... Equality and that just seemed like moderate, independent-minded stuff. And my first semester freshman year at our alma mater, Jordan, at Vassar College, uh, my professor, Richard Bourne, mm-hmm. taught me that my values made me a liberal. And so I ended up walking in off the street onto a presidential campaign, onto Ted Kennedy's presidential campaign in 1980, and I ended up getting hooked. So I went from a foreign foreign language major, which was going to be my intent, uh, to being a poli-sci major, and uh, started at the national level. As you said, I I worked on gun control issues. I was also, I worked for Women's Reproductive Choice at National NARAL. I uh, ran a group called Independent Action. I did a lot of national progressive policies, and then I was encouraged to run for office. Um, It was a 10-way race for three seats, two incumbents, and basically eight of us going for the third seat, and I just had to out hustle and out door knock and out fundraise and we did very well and I run, ran, uh, ran hard and won my first race. Uh, served eight years and then decided to get out and do something else. Talk I think to me, some me about that. It's a
0: little, it's a little interesting that you took a break from politics. Sometimes people get out; they'll find politics wasn't isn't right for them. But then you come back. I did not not once, but you actually you come back uh, two times to run for the Senate seat where you had previously been delegate, and you didn't run for Senate straight from being delegate. Can you? What was going through your mind there?
1: Well, I think a lot of people feel like they need a fancy title in order to make a difference. But working with groups like CMR, Community Ministries of Rockville, and other nonprofit organizations, you can have a huge impact on the community. Uh, When I left the house, I was offered the opportunity and became the first ever executive director, as you referenced, the Carl M. Freeman Foundation. Mm -hmm. I stayed for almost five years, giving out over a million dollars a year in mostly small Grants to help some of these organizations continue their amazing work in healthcare, in literacy, in the arts, in the environment, uh, reaching people with just a little leg up. Um, what's not known very widely is that about 12% of Maryland's economy mm-hmm. is the nonprofit sector, and over 11% of our workforce is in the nonprofit sector, and yet it's often overlooked. So, speaking with two hats on, both as my CMR hat and my Senator hat, I fear what would happen in a down economy or if government were not to provide fundamental support to the nonprofit sector. Uh, that what would happen if our health clinics closed, if our homeless shelters, our food pantries, our literacy councils all were to close up? Who would fill that role? And it would be government there would be no other option. And the um, impact on our tax burdens would be extraordinary, which is why philanthropy, outreach, people's generosity, and giving locally Mm -hmm. to local nonprofits, and not just to the very worthy national and international organizations, but they have a lot of overhead. Giving locally where we're helping our own communities is really important. And so I have to say, well, to anyone who's listening, please check out www.cmrocks.org to learn about Community Ministries of Rockville and the extraordinary work we're doing.
0: And on that topic, Agnes, and the topic of financial sustainability, and in light of the fact that you're now celebrating 50 years of providing services in this community, and being the Executive Director of Community Ministries of Rockville, I'd like to ask you to reflect upon the challenges that you're facing in terms of just keeping your mission going, about ensuring that you have a margin so you can fulfill your mission. If you can speak about what it was like to go through the 2008 recession, if there was any threat, of course, Senator Kagan, you were speaking about the potential... For nonprofits to disappear or environ a dystopian world in which they weren't sustainable. Can you speak about how realistic that threat is and what needs to happen to ensure that our vibrant nonprofit advocacy and services world is continuing to thrive in, in Maryland?
2: Sure. I would say nonprofits uh, face an ongoing threat. Uh, some years may be better or more difficult than others, depending on recessions and economic factors, political factors. But the fact that the need is always greater than the resources that we have is an ongoing threat. I wish the uh, the needs would decrease, but um, uh, the cost of healthcare, the cost of housing, the cost of um, education, uh, there is an ongoing factor that is always increasing the cost. And nonprofits don't always get a cost increase mm-hmm. on the funding that we have. Uh, we are grateful for the funding that we have. There is some secure and permanent funding. Funding, but there is some that rotates, like every two or three years, and the need to be always looking for new sources for new funding uh, is is an ongoing uh, battle. Absolutely. And we want to make sure that uh, we have the resources that we need to help our people. Many healthcare responsibilities are falling on safety net clinics, like the casement Clinic. Uh, to give you an example, the clinic expanded to Medicaid services uh, close to a year ago, and there are many private practices that don't accept Medicaid anymore. So that responsibility is falling on the safety net clinics like us. So the demand to continue to increase our services and to expand Services Is there any resources we need to keep looking for them? So
1: if I could talk about one of the demands for services that Mm -hmm. CMR is working toward is dental care. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are about 25,000 people in Montgomery County who are uninsured or underinsured who are served by what Agnes was talking about, the Primary Care Coalition, uh, 11 clinics clinics around the county, and the Mansfield Casement Center uh, Health Clinic is one of them. The problem exists with dental care, where we may remember not that many years ago when a young boy, Demonte Driver, Demonte Driver died from a tooth you know, problem. Being from,
0: now, we do so, have universal S-CHIP, Children's Medicaid Insurance for Dental Coverage in the state of Maryland. What about the... So
1: adults... So if every adult in the county, mm-hmm. okay, went to the dentist once a year, uh-huh. and many of us, hopefully our dental, are, are flossing and brushing and going twice a year. Mm-hmm. But even if every underserved Montgomery County resident were to go once a year, that would be 25,000 appointments, and yet there is only currently capacity in our county for 8 to 10,000. So the Caseman Clinic, now with my other hat on, Senator Kagan, uh, helped get a bond bill, to help expand this clinic, and we are, uh, and we will show you after this conversation, we'll show you where the dental clinic clinic is going. We are hoping to put in two and hopefully three dental chairs and then continue to expand our outreach, um, have dentists and uh, dental hygienists and others
0: available so that we can provide dental care. And here. just for contextual uh, information for our listeners, our bond bill is a capital bill, which means it is money appropriated by the General Assembly in order to fund construction projects. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Long-term investments. Yeah.
2: You mentioned M-CHIPS, and does the Maryland Children's Insurance program. Mm-hmm. And there is dental coverage for children, but not for adults. Mm-hmm. Medicare doesn't cover dental either. There are a few exceptions for adults that are covered by Medicaid mm-hmm. and Medicare. And we don't want to reach those exceptions because that is when a food problem becomes a primary care problem. Mm. If it affected your eye, if it affected your throat or something, it becomes a primary care. Then It is covered, but we don't want that type of coverage for dental.
0: (laughs) So Cheryl, you were speaking about how in your current role as outreach and development coordinator here at CMR, you are involved in fundraising to some capacity. Of course, as a senator, you're also involved uh, in at least voting on the budget, which must be passed every year, which includes... Uh, about $11 billion in appropriations for uh, the health department, uh, the greatest proportion of which that budget is composed of Medicaid dollars. So you're actually funding this location both through your private fundraising efforts, but also through bond bills and the state budget. Can you speak about what needs to happen in the state legislature in in order to ensure that such organizations as Community Ministries of Rockville are able to be perpetuated and to continue to serve, or to what extent you think that federally qualified health centers uh, need to be created, that we need to create more of these, and that they should be funded with public Mm -hmm. dollars.
1: Wow, that's a lot. I thought you were going to go in a completely different direction. I want to speak about the ethics, because it sounds like I am helping fund my employer. And I just want to say, first off, the bond bill... Uh, and the extension predates my employment with CMR, mm-hmm. and so that was, not, uh, that was not affected. And this is going directly to the clinic, and my time is felt with the, uh, spent with the umbrella organization. Uh, we also, just to cover CMR and me, I got an ethics opinion to make sure that there was no conflict of interest. It is disclosed, and I would no longer while I'm in CMR's employ, be able to sponsor You'd any... You'd recuse yourself. I would recuse myself, and I would have to get an opinion. I would have to fill out forms and all that. So I just want to make sure that anyone listening is not at all worried that I'm somehow sort of supporting myself. I do want to talk for a second about... And I'm going to let Agnes talk about the second part of your question. But um, uh, CMR is... Growing and unfortunately, Agnes often talks about how it's almost unfortunate that we are celebrating our 50th anniversary and that we have not been able to address and resolve all of our needs. The mm-hmm. fact that we have two houses that we operate for the formerly homeless, the fact that there is still an unmet need for language programs and outreach programs, and we also provide mm-hmm. childcare and uh, so that people just have one less burden um, or one less barrier. They can go to language classes and and have their kids taken care of, um, that we have um, emergency assistance if someone is threatened with eviction or having their utilities cut off, um, and uh, senior citizens who want to age in place, um, have regular visitors in contact and some minor home repairs all of those things um, are make a huge difference in people's lives. And uh, and the clinic is growing. We had uh, about 4,000 appointments last year, mm-hmm. and the demand is, is only growing. Congress and the state has to be aware that when they make policy, mm-hmm. it's not a hypothetical. It's not just budget numbers. These are people's lives. They affect family health and without language skills, without safe housing, without good health. They can't get good jobs. They can't support their family, and they're not going to be able to be
0: successful and be productive members of our community before we shift over to you agnes just to follow up for a moment cheryl uh, you did serve in the Maryland General Assembly under Democratic and now Republican governors. Uh, we had Sh- Schaefer and Glendening and now Hogan, where you're an elected official. Do you know, and, and of course Hogan got elected on a platform of fiscal responsibility and, and less taxes and less spending. Do you find it more difficult to sustain nonprofit organizations in the state budget under a Republican governor than under the two previous Democratic governors that you, that you operate in Annapolis with?
1: So I served my time in the House, was with eight years of Glen and now I am with, with Governor Hogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I told him when he was first elected, uh, he and I got along just fine. Uh, I made clear that he was not the governor that I had hoped to work with, and uh, for four or, God forbid, eight years mm-hmm. is what I said, <laughs> and we both chuckled. Um, but that when I can find common ground that I seek to do so. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot that all Marylanders can agree on. The question is how to pay for it, how to fund it, and what the priorities are. So we all want good schools. I'm for supporting our public schools. He's for giving money to our private schools. We disagree. I work hard, and, and I think there should be accountability on our, on our private schools and parochial schools that get state money.
0: But for nonprofits in particular, for no greater difficulty.
1: Nonprofits in particular, there's the question of the budgets, and that's where everything comes out. I think the fact that we have a democratic legislature mm-hmm. uh, and a history of supporting the nonprofit sector, there's, that's an important uh, precedent. The question is, if this governor were to win a second term, if this president were to make drastic slashing cuts in workforce, uh, federal workforce, which Maryland is reliant on. We have a lot of people who pay their taxes and, uh, and live in Maryland and, and they thrive because they're federal employees or contractors. Uh, we could have a very different reality and we could have faced some real economic challenges at the state level based on federal policies. So the Democrats are doing their best we, uh, that we can to play defense mm-hmm. and to go on the offense when we can, but uh, the future is a little murky depending on who is leading
0: our state and our nation. So, um, before we get to the end of this podcast, there's something that's very you're very well known for. It's a bit quirky, uh, and I just kind of want to bring it up. It's it's not exactly secular. It's somewhat of a non sequitur from talking about funding of nonprofits, but it's very important because it's still on the topic of funding. And this is funding your own campaigns and funding private musicians. Now, you have something of uh, folk song uh, events that you promote in Rockville. Can you speak about how you've integrated music and support for the arts, many of which are supported by nonprofit organizations, and how you've incorporated that into your campaigning for elected office in Rockville?
1: Sure. So folk and great music, uh, which is easy to find on uh, online and on Facebook and on Twitter, um, is 15 years of bringing national singer-songwriters into Rockville and to inviting people, my neighbors, friends, and colleagues from around the area, mm-hmm. and. These singer-songwriters can make more money playing my house than they can most other venues because 100% of the door goes to these performers. Mm -hmm. Uh, What might be of special interest to the listeners is that I've been working for a year and a half to bring an international conference, music conference, uh, to Maryland. It has been... uh, five years in kansas city it's going to be going to canada for one year and they are in the final steps of deciding who is going to be hosting from 2020 to 2024 and uh, i know this is going to be airing afterwards but any at, at any time now we will learn whether we are selected maryland is a finalist and i've been working closely with the Department of Commerce and Visit Baltimore and the Office of Tourism and the State Arts Council and others in the music community. So while music and the arts are, uh, are important for our quality of life, our joy and, uh, and reassurance in these troubling times that, uh, that there will be a brighter day. Uh, It is also about economic development because when people come to Maryland for music, the arts, or theater, they also stay in hotels, they go out to eat, uh, they support jobs. And uh, so we're talking about several thousand people for five years coming and staying in hotels, going out to eat and stuff. So I'm very excited, very hopeful.
0: So as we approach the end of this podcast, uh, I'd like to ask first, Agnes, if you could reflect for a minute about uh if you could speak to some of the former beneficiaries of community ministries of rockville uh those who are still reliant on the needs and and some who've been successfully able to lift themselves out so that they no longer need to rely on your services i'd like you to to speak to them for a minute about why it is uh that you have chosen to go down this road and to stay on this road and what you hope your legacy and the impact of your work will be for them
2: i have a love for people and more of a love for poor and needy people. Uh, and I have a <clears throat> vocation, if you will, to help the most needy in the in the community. Yes, it is a great joy when you see that someone that we help made it successfully in life. I can, um, I can relate to um, one of the guys in our houses, uh, Jefferson House, which is a house for six formerly homeless men. Uh, he went through the ladder in what I call the shelter system, emergency services, transitional uh, services, Jefferson Houses, permanent supportive housing. Mm-hmm. If you need, you can stay there for the rest of your life. But we encourage people to uh, to move when they reach both financial and emotional stability. I can't remember one of our guys who was there, and after five years, he was able to... Uh, to, to secure his own place, and it was such a joy when he came to some of our concerts, uh, being a contributor, being a donor, seeing a check with his name on it. Now is my time to give back to the community. I'm doing great. I have um, secure employment. I continue to keep my house. I'm sober. So I ran by his sister not too long ago. and said... Uh, um, he's doing well, he remembers you, and, uh, and because of you is that he has now this type of life. So what a things, beautiful
0: story. things
2: like that is that make our job more joyful and beautiful
0: now cheryl i see you nodding and smiling i'd like to pose a similar question to you just wrapping up this episode about your time i mean such a diverse array of experiences uh and and and, and service experiences could you speak about what's driven you i mean you've jumped firearm regulation to gr- making grants to running for office be mm-hmm. working for other politicians working at a federally qualified health center you know I guess in your mind, what is it all about? What is it that motivates you? Having folk, promoting folk music, it's just so diverse. It's very (laughs) eclectic, actually, reminiscent of Vassar College and the liberal arts education. Why is it that you do it, and what do you hope will be the impact of your work when you come to the conclusion of your career?
1: That's the easiest question you've asked me this whole podcast, Jordan. I think it's all about making a difference. I believe I'm on this planet one time around, and I want to do the best I can every day, to help people, to make people happy, to make a difference in my community. And so whether that's an evening of music, whether that's helping raise money so that uninsured residents can can stay healthy, uh, whether that's giving out grants, making a personal contribution, volunteering uh, to give back. Um, or enacting a new law that helps the nonprofit community or consumer privacy, whatever it is. Uh, I do the best I can. I speak my truth. I respect others who disagree with me, but I try to build bridges, expand my coalition, and uh, and get things done.
0: And that has been uh, Cheryl Kagan, senator representing Rockville and Gaithersburg, Maryland, a former delegate, a Hill staffer, a lobbyist for gun control, a uh, former executive director of the Carl M. Freeman Foundation of the Americans for Democratic Action. Education Fund and currently with Community Ministries of Rockville and Agnes uh, Science, the Executive Director of Community Ministries of Rockville. And they both speak about making a difference. In fact, Cheryl specifically demonstrates with with her life and has called out uh, over the course of this podcast about the importance of making a difference with or without a title, that you can make change throughout many sectors of society without necessarily needing to be in elected office. She has demonstrated that by bouncing back and forth into political realms, into non-profit realms, and showing that... Forging partnerships and emphasizing the importance of strengthening community bonds, building upon relationships uh, in order to provide greater resources for those who really need resources and protecting and helping those who are most vulnerable seems to, uh, in a sense, encapsulate both Agnes's and Cheryl's approach to advancing the public interest. So, at the end of the day, uh, that is how they both seek to make a difference. Agnes, Cheryl, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jordan. Great job. Thank you, Jordan. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.